Episode 17, Part 2 of the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Last time we talked about general conspiracy theories and also conspiracy theories put out by extreme conservatives to support Trump gun control and other right-wing stances. Today I'll be talking more about the web bot that I mentioned last time, why pedophilia is such a popular topic among conspiracy theorists, and I'll be talking a little bit about what criteria I use to judge the validity of conspiracy theories. Before we get into the show, I have a couple quick updates. It's only been a couple months since the last episode, so the only real news I have right now is about retreats and gatherings. My local pagan men's groups held our annual Brotherhood by the Bog retreat just this last weekend at the time of this recording. Overall, I think it went very well, despite being blessed by the pollen and rain gods during the weekend. Our theme was Brotherhood Across the Boundaries, Valuing Our Diverse Tribes. We had folks of various pagan traditions and various gender and sexual orientations. We had one female-to-male trans person, and this was his first event sharing brotherhood among a group of men, and it was very powerful for him. We had one masculine-identified female, too. Even though this is a pagan men's retreat, we never turn folks away who feel they would gain from the weekend. Because this is a state park with other campers, we also had a 20-year-old man stop by who overheard our conversations and who was struggling with his own sexuality. He said he'd had a relationship with a guy, but that it was over and that he was trying to figure out if he was gay or not. Hopefully we were able to help him. We had workshops and activities, too. I think my favorite part of the retreat was the drum circle we had on the beach Saturday evening. I'd also like to give an update on the upcoming Arcadia Gathering for Queer Pagan Men. The event is to be held October 9th through 12th, 2019 at a state park in Cumberland, Virginia. That's not quite an hour west of Richmond, Virginia, and for folks flying in, the Richmond Airport is probably your best bet. Our first theme is Discovering Arcadia, Empowering Queer Men's Spirituality. Registration is now open. Early registration is only $75 for the weekend and includes breakfast and dinner with lunch on your own. The early registration deadline is June 1st, and after that, the cost goes up to $100 for the weekend. The final registration deadline is in mid-August to give us time to book overflow campsites if needed. The only add-on cost is for folks wishing to bring extra tents or extra-large tents. We're limited to using designated tent pads, and we'll need to put those extra tents or extra-large tents into overflow campsites that will be an extra cost to us. We are looking for folks to help with planning the event and making sure it runs smoothly. We are looking for folks to host workshops, activities, and rituals. We've also got a logo design contest going on. You can find out details on the website. All in all, we're providing the space and venue and looking for folks to help us co-create the event. The website is www.olympuscampgroundresort.com. That's www.olympuscampgroundresort.com. 
Once there, go to the Events tab and select the Arcadia Gathering. My next podcast, coming up very soon, will be all about Arcadia, its history and mythology, its connection with homosexual men in the Renaissance, and what we hope the gathering will be. I'll also be talking about the Greek god Pan, who is one of the patron deities of ancient Arcadia. Without further ado, on to today's podcast. That computer seems to be telling us just what we want to hear. I'd like to talk a little bit more about Cliff High's WebBot, since that's what really gave me the idea for this podcast episode. I first heard about the WebBot sometime in the mid-2000s, and I've periodically listened to YouTube interviews over the years where Cliff High and others have discussed the highlights of the WebBot's regular prediction reports. You can purchase the reports online, but I've been content with listening to the interviews rather than spending money on the actual reports. The reports are currently $99, and I can usually glean enough information to satisfy me from the interviews. As with all future predictions, I tend to take these with a grain of salt, though the WebBot did supposedly predict 9-11. The WebBot uses something called predictive linguistics. Cliff High initially used the software to predict stock market trends, but soon discovered that it predicted other things. There's a detailed description of the process on his website, halfpasthuman.com. My basic understanding is that the WebBot harvests data from the internet looking for word and language trends. Supposedly, these trends are based on impressions from the collective unconscious and the inherent psychic abilities of humanity leaking out into language. When something big or important is about to happen, there will be more language trending on the topic as more humans will be subconsciously tuned into the fact that something is about to happen. The emotion behind the language also seems to factor into their inclusion into the reports. Cliff High is founder of the WebBot Project. High is a linguist and a computer scientist. He also seems to dabble in physics and other areas, but it's unclear whether he has any formal education or training in those areas. Whenever I listen to his interviews, he seems most interested in the financial end of things, whether it's the price of gold or bitcoins or other cryptocurrency. He's talked about a large number of topics over the years. In addition to predicting markets, politics, disasters, and world events, High has talked about everything from his theory that the Earth is expanding in size, to his belief that there's a coming world ice age, to magnetic pole shift theories, to aliens. In 2012, the WebBot predicted, along with many other sources caught up in the 2012 hype, that something Earth-changing would affect the world on December 21, 2012. High suggested that one possibility was that the Earth's magnetic poles would shift at that time. That didn't happen, but I also remember about that time, High suggested that all the hype surrounding 2012 doomsday prophecies may have influenced his data and maybe even created a feedback loop in the data. If the WebBot and predictive linguistics do indeed work, I wonder if a similar effect might have taken place in its predictions regarding Trump. I was recently dismayed to find Cliff High spouting conspiracy theories that Trump was elected to take down the deep state government and also furthering the Pizzagate pedophilia conspiracy theories put out by the far-right conservative nutjobs. While he was correct about Trump's election, I find it hard to believe that Trump is a messiah of any kind. If Trump does bring down any kind of deep state government, it's only because it's collateral damage as he destroys the government itself. Since the whole basis of the WebBot program is to pick up on spikes in the use of certain words and phrases across the internet, it's probably not that surprising that the WebBot picked up on biases in favor of Trump and Trump conspiracy theories given how much of that actually pervaded the internet around the time of the 2016 elections and still pervades the internet now. We already know that Russian bots put out a great deal of propaganda in favor of Trump in order to influence and bias people in Trump's favor. Much of this propaganda included conspiracy theories that Trump is 
is a messiah set to bring down the deep state government. So again, no surprise that this should show up in the WebBot report. I also recently read an article about Republican super spammers who posted massive amounts of Republican-biased and Trump-biased memes, propaganda, and conspiracy theories across the internet at about the same time. It seems plausible that the WebBot could have been influenced by all this mess. On top of that, Trump has churned up great divisiveness and brought a great deal of emotion to the surface on both sides of the spectrum that could also be biasing the types of things that are trending. I would also like to cite a recent study that was done on artificial intelligence and the kinds of biases they pick up from humanity. I think the study is relevant both since the WebBot is designed to pick up on biases and language trends and because it supposedly uses intelligent algorithms to sort the data. In 2018, researchers from MIT unveiled a study aimed at finding bias in artificial intelligence algorithms. The MIT team discovered that artificial intelligence is shockingly racist and sexist. According to the study, when we feed these algorithms data that reflect our own biases and prejudices, the AI mimics those biases and prejudices. Some examples given included Google's image recognition program that mislabeled African-American faces as gorillas, a LinkedIn advertising program that had a preference for male names, and a Microsoft chatbot that began spouting anti-Semitic messages after spending a day learning on Twitter. Other examples included programs that predict crime and evaluate credit risks. A recent news article suggested that Google search results might be biased against conservatives, while another article has suggested that the rise of flat-earth believers coincided with the rise of flat-earth conspiracy videos on YouTube. These videos became popular because YouTube algorithms sent more people to these conspiracy videos than to videos that actually talked real science. Facebook algorithms have been criticized for maintaining both liberal and conservative bubbles by connecting people with only those posts that reflect their own worldviews while filtering out those views that don't. Years ago, there was a running joke that my TiVo thinks I'm gay because it tried to predict what program someone wanted to watch based on past TV watching behavior. While we expect computers to be objective and unbiased, the MIT study showed that the underlying data the computer uses reflects our biases, stereotypes, and beliefs. Even worse, besides learning human biases, biases are often pre-programmed into these algorithms, even if unintentionally. These algorithms are still created by humans based on human assumptions. Those assumptions don't always take into account the experiences of minorities or those outside of the programmer's immediate culture. The logic in this case is totally illogical, and yet it's absolutely correct. This is just amazing. In part one of this episode, I mentioned how conservative conspiracy theorists are obsessed with pedophilia. There was the 2016 Pizzagate shooting where a man from North Carolina believed conspiracy rumors that the Democratic Party ran a child sex ring at the Comet Ping Pong restaurant in Washington, D.C. He was so impassioned by the idea that Democrats were abusing children that he went to the restaurant and opened fire. The popular conspiracy theorist David Icke frequently claims that British royalty and other elites are descended from reptilian aliens and that they secretly run pedophilia rings. So why are conspiracy theorists obsessed with pedophilia? It might not be the pedophilia itself, but the idea of associating your enemies or those you disagree with as subhuman monsters. Reptilians surely qualify, but pedophiles are even worse. In the eyes of most people, especially the family values crowd, what could be worse than sexually forcing oneself on children, the most innocent and sexually pure of our population? Well, maybe eating them is worse, and rumors of cannibalism have also been used throughout history to discredit enemies and naysayers. The exact term for this phenomenon... <coughs> 
The exact term for this phenomenon is atrocity propaganda. The purpose of atrocity propaganda is to incite moral outrage and indignation. It is meant to rile up the general public, to arouse their hatred, and to mobilize their, that hatred against your enemy, while at the same time convincing them of the justness of your own cause. The basic idea is to spread misinformation, or at least exaggerated information, that vilifies the opposing side and justifies your side's moral high ground. During the Crusades, the Catholic Church justified the war on Islam by claiming Muslims ravaged churches, raped women, and carried out unspeakable torture on their victims. During the Middle Ages, Christians spread rumors that Jews kidnapped Christian children to drink their blood during Passover. Atrocity propaganda about raping women and children was made against black men during racial desegregation in America, and the trope still continues to rear its ugly head from time to time. Of course, as gay people, we have had our own share of propaganda used against us. We've frequently been accused of sexually abusing children, and if we're not abusing them, we're trying to convert them as part of our gay agenda. Pagans and witches have historically been painted as sexual deviants, as cannibals, and as sacrificing children in strange occult rituals. The witch in Hansel and Gretel is a fictional example of this. The story paints witches as luring children in with candy and sweets for the purpose of fattening them up and eating them. I'm going to tell you another nice story about two naughty little children called Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> yes, of course, I'm going to tell you the truth about Hansel and Gretel. Not any of those old falsehoods they've been spreading around for years. <laughs> Are you comfortable? Uh, yes. The book? Here we are. Let's see if we can find the story. Yes, here it is. Now, once upon a time, a nice, kindly witch lived in a gingerbread house in the forest. She wasn't bothering anyone or causing any harm. You understand that, Tabitha? Well, unfortunately, one day, two nasty little hooligans called Hansel and Gretel found the gingerbread house. Well... Without so much as a by your leave, the two little gluttons broke off her window ledge and ate it. Now, what do you think of that? <laughs> well, naturally, the nice witch was concerned. I mean, who likes vandalism? Atrocity propaganda works because it preys on fundamental human fears while portraying the enemy as a dehumanized other outside of the bounds of forgiveness or remorse. Children often play into atrocity propaganda because parents and society are biologically hardwired to protect the young who are seen as both innocent and as the future of the family or of the society. Among the extreme conservatives, cries of pedophilia may also be a projection of their own Jungian shadow. What we repress in ourselves and in our communities often finds a way to express itself. It's no secret that the largely sex-repressive Catholic Church is dealing with its own actual pedophilia scandals, and we're never really surprised to hear about extreme conservative politicians and religious leaders being caught up in their own sex scandals. It's frequently the most homophobic politicians that are caught up in gay sex scandals. It's often the most sex-repressive religious leaders that get caught having sex with children. For extreme conservatives and the conspiracy theory fringes, focusing public ire on your enemies takes the attention off your own morally bankrupt ideologies, policies, and behavior. It's also easier for them to believe conspiracy theories than it is for them to examine the effects their own ideology has on children. 
If they really care about children, why harass the teenage survivors of the Parkland school shooting for speaking out against guns? Also, why allow unchecked access to guns in society if children are being killed by mass shootings in schools in the first place? If they really care about children, why is there no moral outrage among many conservatives about separating immigrant children from their families at the U.S.-Mexican border? Rather than change their minds about gun control or immigration procedures, it's easier for them to believe that the Parkland survivors are paid crisis actors and that the border separations are fake news. It's easier for them to project their own shadow onto others than it is to accept responsibility for how their own ideologies are harming children. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Nah, something isn't right there. I've got a theory, some kid is dreaming, and we're all stuck inside his wacky Broadway nightmare. I've got a theory, we should work this out. It's getting eerie, what's this cheery singing all about? It could be witches, some evil witches, which is ridiculous, because witches, they were persecuted, wicked, good, and love the earth, and women power, and I'll be over here. I've got a theory, it could be Barney's. I've got a theory. But it's cute like everybody supposes. They got them happy legs and twitching little noses. And what's with all the carrots? What do they I've got a theory we should work this fast Because it clearly could, could get, get serious before it's past I've got a theory, it doesn't matter I've talked about a number of conspiracy theories, and now I'd like to talk about what criteria I use to question the validity of such theories. It seems that the best place to start is my own personal history and the reality check I had to make when I first came out to myself in my late teens. I grew up in a Christian home, so I was, so I was influenced by Christian beliefs, including the belief that homosexuality was a sin. It took me many years to come to terms with the idea that I was gay in lieu of the fact that Christianity and the Bible contemned homosexuality. 
sexuality. I ultimately came to the conclusion that homosexuality was natural for me and I believed in a God of love who wouldn't make me one way and then condemn me for it. Outside of religion, I also had to challenge societal indoctrination that I was supposed to grow up, marry a woman, and have children. This was the first time I had to challenge my beliefs about the world around me and how it works. In a lot of ways, my religion at the time and the world around me was like a giant conspiracy. The conspiracy was that heterosexuality is normal, but homosexuality is not. Not only that, but that homosexuality was a sin or maybe a sickness. In college, I became more agnostic, but I was still very interested in religion. I often researched topics related to Christianity and homosexuality. In my research, I discovered other things about Christianity that I didn't like and that people really didn't talk about. Christianity and the Bible were used to support slavery around the time of the Civil War. Christian beliefs were used to support racism around the time of racial desegregation in much the same way it is used now against LGBT folks. Christians killed off people of other religions during the Crusades, and Christians executed many folks as heretics for believing differently. The Christian Church condemned scientists such as Copernicus and Galileo for putting forth scientific ideas about the solar system because they conflicted with the Bible and Christian beliefs. We now know these scientific ideas to be true. I'm mostly just saying that these things influenced my view of the world and caused me to challenge what I've been told and indoctrinated to believe all my life. I also took a world religion course in college and learned about other religions beyond Christianity. In college, I made friends with pagans for the first time, though at the time I didn't realize I'd become one myself. Since then, I've done more research into religion and Christianity. I've read about the early influences on Christianity, such as the Roman Emperor Constantine, and how the early Christian councils shaped ideas about Christianity, including the Trinity, a pagan concept, by the way, and what texts were included in the Bible. I've read some texts on Gnostic Christianity that claim that Yahweh of the Old Testament was a lesser god who was angry, lying, and vindictive. He thrived on keeping humans ignorant, and he lied about being the only god and about being the creator of the universe. Apparently, Jesus had to come along to remind everyone about love. There is also a goddess figure in Gnosticism named Sophia. She is the mother of the universe, the feminine principle, and the voice of knowledge and wisdom. Ultimately, my experiences and my research led me to understand that Christianity and the Bible are fallible, and I also discovered Christianity isn't the only valid religion out there. Later, I adopted paganism as my spiritual belief system. I follow a mostly druid path that focuses on the three concepts of nature, knowledge, and gnosis. In other words, I look to nature to determine natural laws. I seek knowledge using scientific principles, and to me, gnosis is about looking beyond science for the magic, mystery, and spiritual principles that aren't really easily explained by science, at least not yet. This belief system shapes my view of the world and also gives me tools to evaluate conspiracy theories. Since becoming pagan, I've also done much research into mythology and ancient cultures, and I've been especially interested in how ancient cultures treat homosexuality, transgender folks, and sexuality in general. Sure, these concepts may have gone by different names in different times and cultures, but they are also mostly universal. I've mentioned Christianity a lot in this explanation. The reason is twofold. One is that my experience of being gay caused me to challenge personal and spiritual beliefs that had been indoctrinated in me since birth. The other is because so many conspiracy theories have a Christian element or come from a Christian view of the world. RFID chips being the mark of the beast is only relevant if you believe a Christian worldview. Anxieties about the occult, witchcraft, and secret societies are even more sinister if you're Christian and associate those things with Satanism. 
Concerns about pedophilia rings hold even more sway when you believe that sexuality is bad and sinful, and that human beings are pure, innocent, and sexless until they reach the arbitrary age of 18. As a pagan and as a gay man, the concepts of non-consensual abduction, assault, and non-consent are more of a concern to me. If I were to believe some of these conspiracies to be true, than the sexual scare tactics used in such claims. When there's a Christian element to a conspiracy theory, I tend to take it with a grain of salt. From all my experiences and research, it seems to me that Christianity may be the biggest conspiracy of all. Over the millennia, Christianity has subverted natural laws practiced by our pre-Christian ancestors, argued against scientific fact, and created a following of sheep afraid to question authority for fear of eternal hellfire and damnation. As a pagan, I know that not every entity out there is an omnipotent good or has my best interests at heart. I also believe that gods are fallible, and what is in their interests is not always in mine. Contrast that to the views of Christianity and similar religions that God is omnipotent and should be believed and trusted because he, she, or it is supposedly a higher power. The same pretty much goes for the Bible, even though history shows it was written by humans, and that the Bible we have today is made up of texts picked and chosen by people with their own agendas in the 17th century and before. When looking at claims of gods, channeled spirits, authority figures, or whatever, I look to see if they align with the highest values I believe in. If they do, then all is good. If not, I'm apt to question them even more. The idea put out in the last part of this episode that Trump may be there to take down a shadow government and make America great again is viewed through the lens of all the chaos and divisions he's caused. His habitual lying and constant corruption, the women he's harassed, the immigrant families he's divided, the transgender people affected by his military band, among many other things. I don't see any of this leading to the greater good, except possibly as a lesson to be learned. I know sometimes bad things have to happen to help people learn life lessons. I can see Trump as a lesson for our country, but not as a messiah or someone sent to save us or to make America great. When looking at authority figures or even conspiracy theories, I think it's important to try to look at who's behind the theory and what they have to gain. Regardless of whether there's anything to conspiracy theories or the people and gods that espouse them, I also think it's important to realize that we have a say in the world around us and in the future. If a god or authority figure is tyrannical or unjust, my values say to stand against those things. If a conspiracy theory or psychic prediction claims the future is going to be one way, but we believe it should be another way, I believe we should act to create the future we think is right. So ultimately, these are the criteria I use to evaluate conspiracy theories. 1. Does it agree with or contradict natural law? 2. Does it agree with or contradict established science or fact? While neither of these is infallible, I'm still willing to hedge my bets on scientific method and confirm facts. 3. While I'm willing to believe in God's magic, aliens, and other things not yet proven by science, how plausible is the theory really, and how does it align with my own personal experiences and values? 4. Who gains if I believe the conspiracy theory is real, and in what way do they gain? That especially includes those theories where I have to buy into a whole belief system, such as Christianity, to be swayed by the theory. In 5, if I'm still on board with the conspiracy theory at this point, I still look at it as an intriguing story, at least until someone can really prove it's true. Thanks for listening to today's show. For additional information, including show notes and links to my bookstore and blog, please visit my website at www.melmystery.com. That's www.melmystery.com. 
If you have original poetry, music, or group or event to share, please let me know, and I'll consider featuring it on my website, blog, or in an upcoming podcast. Yes, and I'd have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. <laughs>